0: For our study tonight, we're going to have us turn to the book of Matthew, his gospel, chapter 1. I titled the study for tonight, Searching for the Savior. And we're going to look at the gospel record of when Christ was born, how he came to this world, And how the wise men, the Magi, sought him. As they were looking for that prophetic star. It shone above and it was miraculous in nature. And leading them to the Savior. So in Matthew's gospel, chapter 1. Beginning with verse 18. We're going to jump right into it tonight. It says in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. At this point, we remember just where Israel is at at this point in time. 400 years without any prophetic word. And then finally, after God had removed his glory from the temple, we have John the Baptist. He comes forth and he he proclaims that the Christ is coming. He was that first prophet to return. But before John was even born, he had his cousin, Jesus, who was also in the womb at the same time that John the Baptist was in the womb. And John was there to proclaim that the Messiah was coming. He was proclaiming what all the prophecies of past had proclaimed of the Old Testament. There are over 300 prophecies concerning the Messiah and his coming to this world. In order for any man to meet all those prophecies, the chances of it happening are ridiculously insane. There's this mathematical equation out there where some guy said it's more likely that you would fill the state of Texas with coins just fill the whole state of Texas with coins up and then fly over and drop a coin into the state of Texas and then for you to be able to go down there and find it on your first try. It's, it's insane the, the impossibility it would be for one single man to fulfill all these prophecies. And what it lets us know is that the Bible that we're reading today is true. See, we get mixed up in thinking that Christmas, the season of it, is all about gifts and food and monetary things, and and we get off track of what the promise is that God had given us. That Old Testament promise. I say this a lot. Do you guys... Know what Old Testament, what the word testament means? It means covenant. And do you know what covenant means? It means promise. But promise of what? What, what is the, the old promise? What, what promise? It's the promise that a Savior was going to come to redeem the world, to reunite God and mankind. And now we take a look at this promise being met. The first book of the New Testament. This is assurance that God is true to his word. That Jesus is the Christ. And that word Christ, it means Savior. It means the Messiah. The one anointed to save us from sin. In verse 18, it says, now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. And a lot of times people think, well, Jesus Christ, that's his his first and last name, right? Jesus and his last name was Christ. Like, are you part of uh, the, the Christ family? No, no, no. This is Jesus. His title is Christ. Jesus is his name. Christ is his title, his mission. Now, Jesus... Even looking at that name, we've looked at his very name, Jesus. Jehovah is salvation, and then the word Christ, the Messiah. Now his birth was as follows: after Mary was betrothed to Joseph, so we've heard, we know Mary. There was this period of time for her and Joseph were betrothed to each other. Now, this betrothal period, this is sort of uh, our our modern-day engagement. Now, there were actually three stages that a couple would uh, enter before marriage. There was the engagement, which was actually called the espouse. This was the espousal period, and the espousal period can happen from the time that they were little kids, because back then there were arranged marriages, which is crazy. But they had these arranged marriages back then, and that was called the betrothed period, the espoused period, and then afterwards, after the espoused period, you had the what was like the engagement, which is where Mary and Joseph are in currently of what we're reading in verse one. And then finally, you have the betrothal, which was the, the marriage. So you have the espousal. I'm sorry, you have the betrothal, the espousal, and then, oh, I'm so sorry. The espousal, the engagement, and then the betrothal. Forgive me. Espousal, engagement, betrothal. Was the order of it, and when they were engaged, uh, as Mary and Joseph were, they saw this level of commitment with with so much uh, seriousness that they would actually have to write a bill of divorce before they were even married, if there was going to be a, a separation at this point. And they would live and as if almost they were married, except for any sexual contact. And after they got married, there was even this huge emphasis that the woman was going to remain a virgin. You see this woman, she would have on her wedding night, this cloth that would become stained and then it would be given to her father as proof that she was a virgin. Now, it says in verse 18, as we read, that Mary was betrothed to Joseph before they came together, and she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. So at this point, she's pregnant. And it's like, whoa. Look at verse 19. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. Okay, so... Keep this in mind. Joseph is has been waiting for his wife, Mary. And suddenly he finds out that she's pregnant. He doesn't know that it's from the Holy Spirit. He Perhaps you try to explain that to him, but try explaining that. It's, it's impossible because that does not happen unless God is involved. But Joseph, hearing of this, is like, what is going on? And it, he was literally, at this point, going to secretly move away from her, to separate from her. She's, he's thinking, while she cheated, we're done. And I'm sure there's times in, in, a, in a believer's life when, when we don't see what God is doing outside when we don't see what God is doing outside of our situation. Sometimes we're so focused on the problem that we don't realize that God is working behind the scenes. I'm sure perhaps Joseph was heartbroken. And then in verse 20, But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, Do not be afraid to take to you, marry your wife. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. So now Joseph is probably anxious and just going to sleep with all these thoughts in his mind. And in a dream, an angel of the Lord appears to him. Perhaps this was Gabriel. You see, Gabriel was a... An archangel that announced the birth of Christ to Mary. He was also there when he announces the birth of Christ to shepherds. And he was also there when he announced the birth of Christ to Zechariah. So perhaps it was Gabriel who visited Joseph in this dream. Now, Joseph and Mary, notice that he calls them Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. Now it was prophesied that Jesus was going to be a descendant of David from the line of David, and when you look at the genealogy, which was very important to the Jewish people, both Joseph and Mary were both descendant of David. Now understand Jesus was not joseph's biological son, but he also would have inherited that Davidic promise, Joseph being his, raising him up as his own son. But Mary still descended from the line of David. So either way, Jesus came from the line of David as was prophesied. Now, if you look at Matthew and you look at Luke, there's two genealogies that are given. Now, Luke's genealogy follows Mary's. And Matthews follows Joseph. And you could see and trace it back how both will lead to David. Now again, he says to Joseph, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary, your wife. Which means Joseph was what? He was afraid. I mean, he had to be. His fiancée, soon-to-be wife, is telling him that she's pregnant. And back then, that was enough for men to stone a woman in this culture in this time. But he didn't want her to be stoned, so he was, in his mind, okay, I'm going to separate from her and I'm going to keep everything quiet. I don't want people to know he wasn't going to shame her. It shows what type of man that this Joseph was. But this is the important part at the end of verse 20. The angel says to Joseph, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. So this is a miracle. You can't explain miracles apart from God. That's what makes them miracles. You see people, they they laugh and they mock us believers for thinking that there could be a, a virgin birth. Yet, they'll believe in the Big Bang Theory. That out of nothing, something came. You see, it's it's faith. It really is. And it takes more faith to believe in evolution, and it takes more faith to believe that there is no God, than it does to see that creation screams that there is a God. In verse 21, this is what the angel says. And she will bring forth a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. You see, this is what the world needed. A savior. You shall call his name Jesus. As I said before, Jesus, where that name comes from is jehovah shua which is the lord is salvation salvation from what from sin from judgment from the beginning do you remember when adam and eve sinned and god began to curse the woman and adam and the serpent When God cursed the serpent, he said this at the beginning of Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. He said, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So even in the sin of Adam and Eve, we see a promise that was given to them a promise that there would be a savior, a Messiah that would come from the seed of the woman. Now what's also interesting is usually, generally speaking, the man is the one who carries the seed. But what God said to the serpent was between your seed and her seed. And since then, the world has been waiting for the Messiah, the savior, So this is what it, I, I believe God wants us for a moment to look, think at, look at, think about this. That there's sin in our lives. Whether we're saved, whether we're far from God, we need to realize that there is sin in our life. And it needs to be repented of. Now we, on our own strength and determination we cannot justify ourselves we cannot do enough good on this world to outdo our sin our sin needs to be judged and that puts a, a reality check in my own heart uh, of teaching the word of of being a, An evangelist of being a witness to my friends, my family, my coworkers. If there's sin in our lives, we need to ask Jesus to save us from it. The Holy Spirit needs to intervene, and we need to have our Savior meet us in this. Look at verse twenty-two. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. That prophecy that was given there by the angel came from Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. You see, the angel and the New Testament writer, Matthew, they both realized that the Bible, the Old Testament, was the inspired word of God. That a virgin would bear a child, a son, and that his name would be Emmanuel, meaning God with us. Now, because Jesus was God with us, he was God and human flesh. Something to keep in mind. Sometimes it's hard to understand the Trinity and its glory. You have God the Father. You have Jesus. And then you have the Holy Spirit. It's And they're all God. God the Father, God Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit who is also God. Now what sometimes gets confusing is, well, if Jesus died on a cross, uh, did God die? And that's a hard question to answer sometimes. But we need to understand that Jesus is 100% God, but he's also 100% man. And because of this, Jesus and his humanity died. But Jesus in his divinity, in his God nature, God never dies. So Jesus was resurrected bodily. So Jesus is 100% God and 100% man. He's not 50-50. He's not half God, half man. And knowing this, that Jesus was 100% human, it helps us relate to him that he endured trial and suffering here on this earth, same as we do. He was tempted just as we are tempted, but he never sinned. That was his divinity. And we strive to be like him. You see, we're never going to be perfect. We're never going to be sinless, but we can sin less and we can strive to be more like Christ. That God can take off all those layers of flesh and of selfishness and continue to perfect us. And sometimes God uses trials to do that. We don't like it. God is a, a heart surgeon. And sometimes when we're on the, the surgery table, we want to get off because we begin to feel pain But we need to let God have his perfect work in us. Knowing that all things work together for good for those who love God. In verse 24, Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took him his wife, and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son. And he called his name Jesus. So at this point, Joseph wakes up and realizes, whoa, like, okay, what's that, God? you want me to marry Mary? And that what is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit? And he actually waited until Jesus was born before they had any more children. Now, Perhaps this right here, uh, God speaking to Joseph is that that confirmation in, in your in your life of something you're fearing, of saying, look, Joseph was told to go act, to go forward with something that he didn't understand. And God was telling him, Don't be afraid, you need to move forward. I believe that is a word of the Lord for someone listening today. Not to look back at the past, not to look at all the things that the world is trying to throw your way, but to move forward with what, what God has for you. Now, at the end of verse 25, he didn't know her until she brought forth Jesus, but after, afterwards, Jesus, Joseph and Mary did have other children. The Bible clearly teaches that. Mary was not a virgin her whole life. Look at now chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. So now Jesus is born. This is after his nativity scene, so to speak. Now it says in the days of Herod, that would be Herod the Great. Now Herod the Great was a man who had what I like to call little man syndrome, which is when you're he was only four feet tall, but he had a huge ego problem. He had a a, a huge ego and was also super paranoid. And he built enormous fortresses everywhere he went. He built the Herodian, he built Masada. He built the Alexandrian fortress. He also built Solomon's temple and rebuilt the Temple Mount. He built the Sassaria fortress and a bunch of water systems there in Jerusalem, which you can all go see those things to this day. Huge monuments because of his ego problem. Now, Herod was also very paranoid. There was this saying in the that time that it was better to be his pig than his son. His wife, even Miriam, was killed by him. He had his sons killed by him and a few other family members that were killed because of his own paranoia that he thought that they were trying to take his throne. And before he passed, he had ordered for many governing officials that when he died that all these governing officials would also be put to death with him because he was paranoid that when he died, that nobody would mourn for him. So he made this decree that when he passed away, that all these other governing officials would need to be killed and there would be this great mourning. And thankfully, when he did die, that the rest of the Jewish leaders had enough sense to say, Look, okay, he's dead. He's not, we don't need to kill these other people. But this is Herod. Keep in mind his pride and his ego. Now, these wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. Now, these wise men, who are they? The wise men, they're also known as magi. We read about them in Daniel. In Babylonian times, there were these Magi, these wise men and magicians, and they studied the stars and astrology and other spiritual realms is what their study was. And even Daniel got, got close to them when he was there in King Nebuchadnezzar's palace. But these magi were taking a look now at Bible prophecy and at, at prophecy concerning the Messiah. Messiah about a star. And then look at verse 2. Saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. Now, at these words, I'm positive. Herod's ego was shook. The star that they're referring to which was leading to the king of the Jews. When Herod heard of this, he was thinking, king of the Jews? I'm the king of the Jews. And now he knew that he cannot share a throne. And it brings to mind how in our lives, we have this battle going on of who is God in our hearts and in our minds. Someone needs to be on the throne and is it you? Is it your job? Is it a person? Or is it God? Is it Jesus? Human beings are prone to worship. We we have this innate desire to, to worship. Now, when we worship things, what is literally happening is we are making ourselves less than whatever it is that we worship. See, if, if we have an idol in our life and we are bowing down to it symbolically, making sacrifice to it, and, and giving honor and adoration to that idol in our life, we are causing ourselves to become less than that idol. But if God is on the throne in our life, if it's Jesus. And since we are already less than Jesus, because he's God, he brings us up to himself and anoints us with the Holy Spirit in glory. And all these other idols that we have in our life, they're passing away, they're fading away. You see, Herod was on the throne in his own heart his ego. In verse three, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Notice since Herod's troubled, the entire Jerusalem is, with, is troubled with him. Again, revealing his insecurities. Now this star in the east that these Magi are looking for, we're really not sure what the star was. It could have been a miraculous star. It it could have been God's sovereign alignment of planets and stars to create this amazing star that they saw from the east. What is interesting, though, is that as they came from the east to Jerusalem, it seems as though the star was moving. Look at verse 4. my people, Israel. So now Herod gathers all of his leaders together to hear these magi. And he begins to ask them questions about the Christ, the Messiah that was prophesied to be born of. And they tell him, well, he's supposed to be born in Bethlehem. And then they even recite this passage from Micah, the prophet. But what they didn't finish saying in Micah chapter 5, it ends with, who will shepherd my people Israel whose going forth is from everlasting? And that's found in in Micah chapter 5 verse 2. Revealing that the Christ, that his kingdom would be forever. And then in verse 7, then Herod when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. You see, Herod would have attempted to kill Jesus. He had no intention of worshiping the child. Who was prophesied of? And sometimes, maybe you're listening tonight. You do not have that desire to worship God. Maybe you you don't have a desire to to worship Jesus in your life. Maybe there's times throughout your day where you you don't want to hear from Him. You don't want to seek His will. You want to say, "Okay, Jesus." Uh, wait here now while I go and sin over there. And this is wrong. This is wrong in the life of a believer. This is wrong for anyone's life. In verse 9, when they heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. So now the miraculousness of this is it the, the, the way the star would move as they came from the east, now it stood over where the young child was. So at this point, when the Magi, they came and they realized, okay, this guy Herod, we're not sure about him. He's asking us to tell him so that we he could come worship. But they began to have discernment that perhaps Herod the Great was not as great as he seemed. And Something that we should pray for is that discernment. And then this star led them to where the young child was. And at this point, they found the Savior. You know, sometimes God is giving us those signs in our life, those warnings, those messages that are showing us the path. And for many of us, God really needs to get our attention to, so that we can submit to him so that we could find the Savior, Jesus. Because when we realize what, whatever it is that we're doing that is keeping us away from God, keeping us away from finding the Savior, once we realize that it's not going to be found, whatever it is we're searching for, whether it's whether it's love or or money or finances or or all that hole that's in our heart when we realize our joy is not found in the things of this world, we're left to find that it's found in something that is not of this world, and that is Christ Jesus. See, every man and woman has this desire in our heart that needs to be filled. And when we have desire for things something needs to fulfill it like we we there needs to be something that exists to fulfill that desire for instance we have desire to drink water water exists right we have craving and appetite for food food exists there is a craving in our heart for god and god exists but sometimes we get so mixed up on what this life is for. We're not living our purpose-filled life. We're desiring to be something apart from God. If God has a plan for your life, if God knows you from the hair on your head to the toes of your feet, God knows everything about you, what you think, your emotions, your gifts, your talents, and God has a plan for your life, then why try to go off of God's plan if he wants good for you and loves you? Why are you seeking to do your own will? Why not just trust God, let go of your own selfish will and completely submit to him and just watch and see the beauty of living that life that's submitted to him? In our lives, it's hard to be selfless. It's hard to submit to God as creator. So we need to constantly do this every day, is die to ourself. Remember Jesus, he said, for those who desire to come after me, pick up your cross Die to yourself daily, pick up your cross and follow me. And it's a daily thing. It's not going to be completed in, in, a, in a weekend retreat. It's not uh, a seminar that you're going to get one day and suddenly you're just this perfect holy saint. No, it's a lifelong journey of consecration. And this is what people are seeking. Because when you finally submit and then you begin to do what God has planned for you, you begin to realize that you're living that purpose-filled life. You're doing what you were made to do, which then gives you that contentment of purpose, gives you that peace with God, the peace of God. It gives you that joy knowing you are doing what you were created to do. And this is only found in Jesus. Your life is hid with Christ. And sometimes we search for our life outside of all these different avenues. But the more and the deeper we know God, the deeper we know Christ, the more fulfilled we'll be, the more peace, the more joy, the more We will find out what God has intended for us. And this is what these wise men are now rejoicing over. They found the Savior. In verse 11, And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshiped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. See, now they're worshiping Jesus. Now the reality that we see here in this picture with the wise men visiting Jesus is that they visited a young child. Jesus wasn't a baby at this point. He wasn't a newborn. He was even perhaps almost one to two years after his birth at this point. And they wouldn't have even been in a manger at this point when the wise men were visiting them. They would have had already a house and Joseph and Mary would have been there raising their their son. There wouldn't have been the cow sleeping right next to the baby perhaps that we see in the, the, the nativity scene. And that's where the Christmas cards kind of get it wrong and the Christmas pageants that we see. But... We don't need to tell Pete, the little kid, that like, hey, you know, it's wrong during the Christmas pageant, don't do that. But just understand that this worship that the wise men are doing here, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, gold speaks of the glory of God. And then frankincense of the humanity of God and then being Jesus And then myrrh signifies of the death that the Messiah would take. It was used as a a bombing, an anointing oil for those bodies that were killed. In verse 12, Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country, Another way. Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring you word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. So, at this point, God gives Joseph, the father, another warning now to move forward to act, to do. Because there was an enemy at work that was trying to stop the work of the Holy Spirit. You see, Herod would try to kill this king of the Jews. And he would actually go and kill all of those that were under the age of two and younger. He would have all the males killed in order to prevent this king of the Jews, from being born. So because of this, the angel warned Joseph, and Joseph then fled to Egypt. He took action. He moved. It says in verse 14, when he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I called my son. So you see, God has his plan. And whenever you see God doing a work of the Holy Spirit, a move of the Holy Spirit, be sure that you're going to see a work of the enemy also. What we see even in the book of Revelation it 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 shows this picture of woman, the woman giving birth to the messiah this is in john his his visions that he's seeing and as the woman who represents israel giving birth to the messiah suddenly there's a dragon that's there that awaits it to eat the child but the child is taken on the wings and escorted into safety and in that same manner god said out of egypt i called my son you see we have spiritual warfare going on around us if god could open your eyes and allow you to see the angels and the demons that fight over the souls of your friends and your family members you would probably pee yourself because it would be so amazingly traumatizing. We'd be scared. Every time you see a person in the Bible come across an angel of the Lord, like one of the good ones, they fall down on their face, weak, just completely out of energy, and they're terrified. So to say, to see angels and demons battling, I'm sure that would cause some great anxiety and fear in a person's life in the moment. But that's what's happening in our lives, and we don't see it, thank God. But we see its effects. So knowing this, I encourage us in this Christmas season to be joyful, but to be ready as a soldier in battle. To know that we are seeing a work and a move of the Holy Spirit this season. But to also know that the enemy is desiring to pull us down. Desiring to get our minds off track. Desiring to pull us away from the call that he's placed in our life. But there needs to be action in our life. One of the examples that we see constantly in Joseph, Mary's husband's life, was God telling him to move and then Joseph being obedient. And there needs to be obedience in a believer's life. And all this, Mary and Joseph, this account is the answer to what the entire nation of Israel had been waiting for. They're waiting for a savior. And finally, the Savior was here. And this is the real Christmas story, the real Christmas account. And it's something important to, to remember as we go through this next few weeks because we can be so thankful that God has given us life Yes, we are in a crazy era of our human history. But God has always had his crazy eras throughout history. This is the first time we have experienced a, a worldwide plague. Yes. But God has had other turbulences go throughout history. There was a time when there was plagues And they didn't have sanitation, they didn't have the medical things that we have, they didn't have a way to communicate with people the way we do. And God always has his remnant. God has his people, God has his plan. So we look forward to where he's calling us to. And it is my heart and my desire to see Christians, to see believers, who are standing for righteousness, who are standing for truth, who are not compromising in their walks, in their teaching, in their life, but who are going to be standing in the gap between the world and those who need to be saved. I encourage you, believers, to be in your word every day to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. See, our our Bible will keep us from sin, but sin is going to keep us from our Bibles. And we need God to be speaking to us. What if we're not listening? What if Joseph didn't listen when God was telling him to marry his wife, Mary. What would he have missed out on? God is always going to get his plan done. It's going to be completed. But you don't want to be missing out. And you feel it when you're away from the relationship with God. You feel it when you're away from your Bible. Along with that, we need to be in fellowship. We need to be in prayer. And I encourage us to keep contact with our brothers and our sisters in the Lord. And to remember that all things work together for good. I'll leave us with this verse as we end tonight. And I left us with this verse on Sunday morning, but I feel it's appropriate for this season. In Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 5, it says, And not only that, but we glory in tribulation, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance, character, and character, hope. Now, hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace, for your mercy. I pray and I ask, Lord Jesus, that you would help us, Father, to continue to seek, continue to search for Jesus in our day. May we look forward to fellowship with him. May we look forward to that purpose-filled life that he's called us to. If you're listening tonight and there are some idols in your life, there are things that you need to surrender to the Lord, why don't you just follow me in this prayer? Dear Jesus, I confess to you that I am a sinner. Dear Jesus, I have idols in my life. Help me to turn away from them. Take them away from me. May I be submitted unto you. I accept Jesus as my Lord. And my Savior, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Use me. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you need prayer, if you would love to get a hold of us, go ahead, feel free to message us. We would love to pray with you, to get in touch with you, to talk with you, to even meet with you. Just be ready this uh sunday morning as we get together again just to thank god for what he's done with us this season in jesus name
1: oh come all ye faithful joyful and triumphant oh come Oh, come me to bear the hand. Come and behold him, born the King of Angels. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, of heaven above glory to god glory in the highest oh come let us adore him oh come let us adore